Agents Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Follow a Boss. Follow a Boss is the real estate CRM that turns every agent into a top performer. Follow a Boss is packed with features, but it's intuitive and easy to use. So agents love working with it and it integrates with everything. Use multiple lead sources. Guess what? Follow a Boss keeps them all organized. Want to try new marketing channels? Switch website providers? Plug them right into Follow Up Boss. Visit followupboss.com forward slash lab code to see how Follow Up Boss helps you close more deals. That's followupboss.com forward slash lab code. Okay, Lab Coat Agents, we are back for another episode of the Lab Coat Agents podcast. And I'm excited today to speak to our guest who I have uh, I met about oh, two minutes ago. And, uh, but I'm excited because of his resume and we're going to be talking to Hans Struzina. That's a, that's a tongue, tongue tire, tongue twister right then and of itself. Uh, he lives in the Bay area, works in the Bay area is a successful realtor, podcaster and Olympian folks. That's really what grabbed, grabbed my attention. For those of you who know me, you know, I'm a sports guy. So anytime I get to talk to an ex athlete or maybe current athlete, usually get a little excited about that. And although he's had a ton of success in real estate, and we're going to talk about things like mindset and personal branding and goal setting and being coachable and those kind of things. You know, Hans, I have two questions for you out of the gate. First of all, I just need to hear about this 2016 U.S. Olympic rowing team because that just is really, really cool. But before I do that, because your name is Hans and I'm still just corny and stupid, frankly. I have to know. Do you have a sibling named Franz? I mean, do you? No, but I can point to the beach pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so you knew exactly where I was going with that. Oh, yeah. All right. So half, half the audience right now is shaking their head and saying, Jeff, you're an idiot. Half the audience is laughing and saying that was good. Uh, well, maybe less than that, actually. But uh, I'm glad you went along with it. Thank you. I so love Hans. I love a good corny joke, man. It's all good. Hans and Franz. Good Hans and Franz. Franz. You got it. I'm sure, you haven't heard that your entire life, and you're like, yeah, yeah, another stupid joke. So Hans, <laughs> Hans, welcome, welcome to the show. So again, from the Bay Area. Um, obviously, I'm going to assume I don't know you, so I imagine a lot of our audience doesn't know who you are. So tell us, tell us who you are. Tell us how you kind of came up in business and how you got to where you are today. Jeff, thanks for having me on, man. It's an honor to be here. Fan of the show, so it's it's really cool to be on it, finally. Yeah, so originally, I'm not from the Bay Area. I'm from Seattle, Washington area. And if anyone has ever visited the Pacific Northwest, you know it rains a lot. You know there's a lot of water around. Rowing is a actually a pretty big sport up there, hence um, just my involvement in it. It was visible because there's a lot of lakes around. And so it was one of those fringe sports that wasn't so fringe in Seattle. And basically i was i was the kid who was trying every single sport i could possibly try i grew late and said someone basically said hey have your family go do some rowing lessons together it's fun did kept going made the varsity team you know made a college team kept going went to the olympics and sort of wow. a 12 year that's a four sentences of to encapsulate 12 years of rowing what, what um, how old were you when you started doing it so how old were you when you went to go to get those lessons 14. Wow. I think it was, yeah, wow. 14. 
I mean, think about that. I mean, you know, making be, becoming an Olympic athlete is like making the big leagues, right? I mean, it's the the the, the top of the level. And how many yeah. you know NBA players or Major League Baseball players or NHL or NFL can say, "Yeah, I started when I was 14." Probably yeah. no one. That's that's cool. Yeah, yeah, man. It was it was a cool. It was just. I mean, everyone's like first question, how do you get into that sport? And, and like I said, where I grew up influenced a lot, it, not just the sport, but a lot in my life. And, uh, and so I just got into it and found I had a, a talent for it. I just, I was tall. I had long legs, long arms. I did grow late, but I, I had a, I had a good work ethic and, and that with some other things really kind of propelled me through the the sport of rowing and just kept focusing on that next thing in front of me. I never thought I was going to the Olympics, always kind of wanted to row in college for the university of Washington. Cause that was the, th- those were the guys out on the lake that you saw and you're like, Ooh, that's, that's the team to be on. That's cool. And uh very, you know, hundred plus year history for that rowing program. So there's a lot of tradition there that was fun to be part of too. So awesome. So one more question on this and then I'll let it go. Uh, team rowing or individual? team so rowing is almost exclusively a team sport even uh, with the sole exception of rowing a single which is great for training but you have to be have a couple screws loose to actually race that thing because it is it is uh it's it's a lot (laughs) we could go down a rabbit hole on the psychology of that but it's it was i was in the men's eight in rio um so it was the big boat the the eight person boat that everyone thinks about when they think about rowing crew that's cool how'd you guys do we were fourth oh, just outside the medals, oh, man. Oh, man. I know, sucks. right? <laughs> that sucks. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, obviously, you know, to have that kind of success, you know, I, I'm a big believer and I'm a, I'm a physical fitness type of guy. I've done some really big challenges. And, and part of the reason why I do that and I've done that is because I always listen to these uber successful people that I can resonate with and they all seem to be like super athletes, you know, whether it's ultra athletes or triathletes or things like that. And there is a direct correlation, in my opinion, to success in that world over to success to business, no matter what you do. Uh, So I imagine one kind of helped propel you into the other. And so you got out of doing that, which I imagine was a full time, quote unquote, job. What yeah. happened next in your life? Yeah. So f- for context, when I was training for the Olympics, I mean, it was obviously a culmination of a career, but really it was about 14 to 16 months out. Um, I stopped working. I was training and working on the side. I was selling solar panels and basically doing commission only jobs because it was flexible and I could figure it out um, to support myself when I was training. And then about, like I said, about 14, 15 months out, I stopped and had to pull, pull together funding from some family members. Thanks, dad and uncles and stuff. And um, got a little bit of support from the, from the governing body, not much. And basically committed myself for, for that amount of time to following the team around and training twice a day. And it was like eat, sleep and breathe rowing. That was, that was my year plus prior to the games. Awesome. So, so then as you can imagine, that really, I won't say burn someone out, but it really taxes you in a way that is hard to, hard to describe. And so I realized quickly, I needed to just take some time and and reassess if I wanted to go back for another shot or, or not. And I always knew rowing or excuse me, real estate was of interest to me. My, my 
family at various levels has been involved in owning apartment buildings or doing real estate law, which is my dad and a variety of other examples throughout our history. So I always kind of thought I would be involved, but I never knew exactly what. And frankly, I didn't want to go to the city and commute to San Francisco, that is, and do commercial real estate and wear a coat and tie and all that stuff. Not that anyone wears ties in San Francisco, but I just didn't want to live that life. So I had an Airbnb host of all things from uh, when I would go train down in San Diego, who was a real estate agent. He was flipping houses down there on the side. He had a pretty cool lifestyle. His wife was doing it with him. And I was like, what do you guys do? And he's like, well, why don't you come down and I'll talk to you about it? And uh, long story short, that's he convinced me that that was going to be a really good idea. And that was just uh, four and a half years ago, I think, or wow. just over four years ago. Wow. And so, and then ever since you have taken on obviously hockey stick or just rocket ship kind of success, we got to hear about it, man. I mean, so you got in four years ago, where did you start and, and then kind of what would you define? So, you know, after answering the first question, then what would you define as, as one of the key pieces that is taking you to the levels that you're at now? Yeah. So for over just over four years ago, I really started as more of an ISA for this team I was on. Just banging the phones, man. I was on Mojo Triple Line Dialer, just calling through, you know, foreclosures and expireds and every anything and everything I could set an appointment for. And I wasn't licensed at the time. So anytime I'd get an appointment, my mentor would fly up from San Diego and go do the appointment. And I would shadow him. And and that's kind of how I learned. And you know, my first year, I think I did, I closed nine transactions. Almost all of them were some form of foreclosures or short sales or some crazy thing like that because it was low hanging fruit. There wasn't a lot of competition in that space in our area. And uh, frankly, it was, it was a good place to cut my teeth. And, you know, fast forward another year and a half, I got introduced through rowing and some other mutual connections to the top uh, realtors in our geography, David and Andrew, um, who are now my team leaders. And I kind of met them and realized like, Hey, they're doing something really special. Like, no one in our geography had ever closed over a hundred million in volume, and they had been doing it year over year since I think 2014 at that point. So they were the one team who had ever just cracked that and were just pounding past that. And they're we're gonna do well over 200 and tapping on the door of 300 this year. And so I was like, man, these guys have just they've figured something out. I, I gotta go learn from them. So I basically pitched them as to why I'd be a good addition on their team. They seemed to think that was a good uh, a good pitch, and uh, it took me for an interview, second interview, and then and made me an offer to to come be an agent on their team and and get in their slipstream. I love that, um, and I and I I want to comment on that because whenever I coach and mentor, I so I run. I don't even do that as much anymore because I have partners, but I run a very big mortgage team, 300 plus million, and we'll do over 1700 transactions and we're big and growing. Yeah. And, and I always tell younger loan officers that a lot of them come to work for us because of me and my influence, right? They're attracted mm -hmm. to that. But at the end of the day, I always tell them, listen, you're not going to learn from one person and the, the you're not going to do exactly what I did, emulate it and become 
the same thing. You need to go find different successful people, people doing it at just a better level than you or a different level than you. Take bits and pieces from different people, mold it into your own and become your own dominant force, right? Mm-hmm. And what you just said to me is I love that because I don't know that enough realtors listening to this right now take that same approach, which is I'm going to go find the best in the business and I'm going to learn from them. At worst, what's the worst that would have happened? You sat down for lunch, you bought them lunch, cost you some money, and you picked their brains. That's mm-hmm. priceless. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, Plus and, you, if- and you funneled it into becoming a part of their team. Yeah, exactly. I mean, really, it's like if I tell people this all the time, whenever anyone's getting into the industry, I say, you know, get on a team and get on a team that is doing something like you don't want to just get on a team that's doing like 20 or 30 deals a year and is barely the rainmakers doing, you know, 80% of it. Like that's not going to get you anything, especially now with COVID, we can't do open houses. And that's one of the big benefits of a team is you kind of get access to holding the, you know, open houses and the internet leads and all that other stuff. But if you can get the education and the, just the understanding of, of what it is they're doing and how they operate and how they talk to clients and how they negotiate and all that other stuff, the the split that you're paying them is, if you're in this for the long run, is invaluable and will be the best return you ever made in your, uh, in your real estate career as far as an investment in yourself goes. Love that, man. Love that. Okay. So the this is not rocket science here, folks. And that's kind of the point of this, right? Uh, but it's not just simply joining team, becoming uber successful. What What's next? Like, what's the next? So you joined that team and now you're, look what you're doing now. So so kind of give us that, give us that timeline. Yeah. So uh, joined that team just over two years ago. And I, I, for context, that first year in the business, I think I closed just under $5 million in real estate and nine deals or something. The second year, which was a little bit on their team, and then um, partially on the on the previous team, I was at seven million or seven point three million, as I recall. Then my first full calendar year on the team, uh, I got to nineteen point three million, and then this year I'm probably well. Right now, what's either closed or in escrow um, is twenty seven point three million, and I'm. I think we're going to crack 30 personally this year, which was my goal for the, for 2020. That's and awesome. uh, thank you. Um, so it's in for context, like the average agent in the Bay area, I think does, or the average agent in California does like seven sides a year. And the average in the Bay area is slightly less think it's five and a half or something like that. So, you know, doing 20, 25 sides, especially because the price points are a lot higher is, is serious volume relative to the competition. So anyone listening from another market's probably like, dude, you did 20 deals, like big deal. I can't even do 20, I do 20 deals in a month, but it's like a very different sales uh, trajectory and timeline. And, and frankly, there's just our market is interesting because the the turnover is lower and the inventory availability is a lot lower. Everyone knows California is a housing shortage, um, but that's just partially because there's not as many houses here for the number of people. And, um, and so the, the, and people stay longer and yada, yada, we can get into that. But, um, but yeah, the, the number one thing that I did to kind of get to that level um, inside that team was, was be, uh, basically as much of a sponge as I could possibly be and apply everything I learned as soon as I learned it. 
And the best compliment I've gotten from one of my mentors, David, who's the team leader, is that he's never seen someone learn and apply things as quickly as I have. And I attribute that 100% to my ability, uh, to my rowing, you know, days when I had to be, when I was being coached and you were out in the boat and the coach is yelling at you in the megaphone and you're in the middle of a race and he's telling you to do something, you got to do it like immediately, like on that stroke, otherwise your boat's going to lose and you're going to be out. And so that repetition of, of practicing how to be coachable and apply it immediately and, and know that maybe he sees something you don't see and, and he's really trying to help you be better as opposed to like getting your ego involved and saying, I, I know what I'm doing. I've done this before and this is working and whatever. Um, you know, that's really when it all comes down to it, that's really what I did differently than probably anybody else. And the results speak for themselves. I love it. So let's get into the psychology of that. And before I do that, um, I, I want to point out to those of you listening, cause I'm one of them. I'm in the Midwest. Um, I have a loan officer that'll do 200 to 250 transactions uh, in Wisconsin. It's different. Like we're, we're actually about ready to open an office in Ventura and Santa Barbara. So I've been now studying California and I, and I know California really well. Uh, the difference folks, for those of you who are like me, who are like, yeah, aha, uh-huh, yeah, real, real impressive 25 transactions. The comp, there's so much more competition in California. Mm-hmm. We can't even compare. There is a reason why you can do 200 transactions as a very successful loan officer or realtor in the Midwest. There's less competition. It's not that we have more homes. We probably have less actually. Um, oh, it's, true. it's just the, it's the way states like California, I think New York is very similar, especially in the big city, Boston, probably the same where there's just more competition because people migrate there because they think to themselves, Ooh, all I have to do is close five deals and make a good living. So it creates yep. more competition. So it's a different challenge. Uh, so I just wanted to, I wanted to give that context because I understand it. And I agree with you because it, especially the Bay area, which is just off the charts in terms yeah. of uh, volume. Um, it's, it's, a diff- it's a different beast. Just for context, I, I, your comment brought this up for me. I don't transact in San Francisco proper. I'm on the Oakland side. So just across the Bay, I think San Francisco is just under 19 square miles, the city itself. And that MLS board has over 8,000 active agents on it. So you think 8,000 agents for 18 square miles, granted it's debt, there's density and what have you, but like that's competition, right? Uh Yeah, that's insane. That's insane. All right. So let's, let's get back to psychology. And I think what you said to me, the first thing I thought was, you know, you're an executor, right? You take something, you execute, you take something, you execute it. And that is, is one of the biggest epidemics in a bad way in any industry, uh, like when you go to an event, for example, you get really hyped up, you get really excited, then you go home, you get caught up in minutia, you do nothing. And uh, I hear this all the time, and I guarantee 100% of the people listening to this can think to themselves, raise my hand, mm-hmm. I'm guilty, right? So let's get into the psychology of that and, and help, maybe help one of those listeners overcome that and become better at executing and taking action. Let's keep it real for a second. Like I'm, I am not like the perfect model here of, of execute and follow through. Like I just have built systems around me so that I can, I can have a better chance at actually doing it. And, and to be fair, I, you know, have practiced that sort of coachability and execution piece a lot in my teens and twenties through my, through my rowing um, and just 
did it at a high level for a number of years. So that part came a little bit easier to me maybe than the average person. But, you know, I think it really comes down to, you know, like I listen to podcasts and get totally overwhelmed all the time. I go to events, same thing. And really what I think is absolutely critical is just starting somewhere and just committing to like one thing. I'll give you an example. When I started my podcast just over a year ago now, I, I was thinking vlog, you know, I was thinking podcast, blogging, social media, posting, you name it, I was thinking to do it. And I was trying it all, but I was really inconsistent. And it wasn't until I hired a coach for the podcasting that I really just said, I'm going to commit to this for one full year. I'm going to do two episodes a week. And I don't really care how many people are listening. I don't really like, that's not the point. The point is the exercise of execution and doing it. And at a certain point, if you put out 120 plus episodes, which I'm at now, you know, people are going to find it and listen to it. And that, that practice like built that muscle for me so that when, for example, when COVID hit, I then was ready to take on a, a YouTube channel or a, and a newsletter that I push out every two weeks and um, really just started to build the systems, build the repetition, um, build the calendar space around those activities so that I could actually commit to them um, and, then, and then mentally also commit that I'm going to do this for at least a year and by then it's a habit. So my advice is simply you do not have to do it all at once. Um, and probably if you spend realistically a month or two just trying something and posting consistently to Facebook, doing a Facebook live once a week on Friday, you know, inter doing an interview podcast or something once a week, and you just put that on your calendar and you just commit to that and do nothing else differently, you'll be pretty surprised at what you produce over a couple of months. You'll get some momentum, you get some traction, and then you might be ready to add whatever the next thing is, or step it up to two a week or, or whatever the thing is, but just focus on the one thing and really dial in and, and commit to yourself. Because if you really commit to yourself, you're the one who knows if you do it or you don't do it. And that will start to feel good and lead you in all kinds of cool directions. I love it, dude. When we, uh, you don't know this, but you and I speak the very, a very similar language and I've just been doing it longer than you have. But uh, the, the thing that I say to people all the time is become neurotically consistent and ignore vanity. And that's basically what you said, right? And yeah. I, I love that. And I would actually even, I wouldn't say argue with you, but I would say two to three months is not a good metric. It's not good enough. And the reason I say that is because, especially today, like when I started doing video, because that's my game, uh, five, six years ago, I was one of the only ones in the space. And so it was very easy to get seen. Now it's massively diluted. So if you say, like Hans, I'm going to start a podcast, I'm going to start vlogging, I'm going to start doing a weekly live, whatever it is, it's more diluted now. And you need to, and I think Hans will agree with this, ignore the vanity metrics. It does not matter. Just keep doing it. You commit to yourself, have zero metric goals in mind other than consistency and just mm -hmm. stick to it. Is that is, is that basically what you were saying? I mean, that that sum it up. Yeah. And, and the two to three month thing too. And I agree with you that you're right. You probably need more like six to 12 months to it's like farming or any other activity would do. Like anybody tells you, as long as it's not, you're buying leads online, it's gotta be consistent over time. And, um, I'm saying more in two to three months, you can be pretty 
you can be surprised at how consistent and how regular that becomes is just part of you um, as opposed to it's going to take you for, you know forever to, to build that muscle that's true um, muscle memory basically is what kind of what you're exactly about. exactly 100 percent agree with you though it's like getting consistent with yourself and even if like 10 people are watching or listening like how many of us as realtors would say if i could get 45 minutes of 10 people's time once a week i would take that and talk about whatever i wanted to talk about and they would show up and be captive to my audience like you would walk into that room 10 out of 10 times, right? So that's what you're doing on a podcast or a 10 view YouTube video. Same exact thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. And, and you're right. I, I guess it's just, it's, I, again, I always go back to exercise. You know, if, if you do, if you do it consistently over 90 days, usually it becomes habit. And, and I think that's what Hans means here, but be, don't, don't expect an ROI quickly six to 12 is probably even not long enough like that if you are doing something consistently stick it out for two to three years that's that's when you'll know if it's going to work and if you do it neurotically consistent you will get the results and i think you know I will just say it, Hans, I think you are an exception to most rules. I mean, you've been doing this four years. I've been doing it 20, but it took mm -hmm. me, it took me 15 to figure out like how to really differentiate, how to truly differentiate. And you've just figured it out a hell of a lot sooner. And let me also say this. I think a lot of people might be thinking to themselves, eh, okay. So he was a Olympic rower. Yes, but he wasn't born an Olympic rower. He wasn't born mm -hmm. with discipline. He just learned to teach himself that discipline at a very young age, which most of us don't get until we're like in our forties. That's just the, mm -hmm. that's, that's a reality. Right. And I think that's, I think at the end of the day, you're, we're listening to somebody here who figured out how to grow and build discipline at a very young age. And now he's applying it and, and achieving some massive results. So we talk a little bit about that, that psychology. We talk about, uh, you know, I really kind of being coachable, but also applying it, right? There's got to be more to it than that, though. It's not just quite that simple. What are some of the other things that you've done that, that you would attribute a lot of your success to? We have a couple of new agents on our team who are literally like the, the ink is still drying on the real estate license and they're still, you know, figuring it out. One's done one deal. One, it's like he hasn't even gotten the actual license yet. It's so fresh. But the thing that I've told them, because they see me as four years in, you know, selling, you know, the 27 million that I've done this year or whatever. And they're excited about that because they see it's possible. And so they're like always asking me, like, what do you do? What should I do? Blah, blah, blah. And the things that I really did was in the beginning, I decided, am I really in this? Like, am I trying to be a real estate agent for the long term and really serve people over the long term? And if I am, then I, I certainly need to learn marketing and all that other stuff and getting clients, but I also need to learn how to be a really awesome agent. And to me and to my team leaders, that means being a true fiduciary because that's what all of our licenses say, at least in California, is we have to put other people's interests in front of our own and represent them the best we possibly can. And so that means understanding at an unbelievably detailed level the contract that we write offers on and all the addendums and the counter offers and all that stuff. I've read the contract backwards and forwards. I can tell you exactly where everything goes by line item. Um, I can tell you exactly the loophole in line paragraph 14 B five, for example. And I can explain that to somebody as to why we either want to close that or exploit that as is uh, appropriate. 
And so that level of detail, like really truly being a, a student of your craft and being able to articulate what that means um, to a client, I think is hugely valuable because if not, you're kind of just pushing paper to a certain extent. So that as well as market nuances, our market geographically is very unique because we have water on one side and about five miles inland or less, we have mountains and we have a hill that separates it. And we have a bunch of freeways that separate that. And then it's very micro neighborhood-esque. And so I, I really made a point my first year and a half, well, basically until COVID took this away, I was going on tour every single week, going and seeing as many properties and the price points that I wanted to work in and understanding those neighborhoods and those nuances. So I could, again, articulate that and be like, if you're on this side of the street, you are now in a different neighborhood. You have a different price per square foot uh, or you're, you're pulling, you're going to start pulling comps that are bigger. So you need to make adjustments down or blah, blah, blah. And really got tuned in and dialed in with my craft so that I could basically serve clients at a very, very high level. Um, and then they would start referring me to their friends and their colleagues and all those kinds of people. And, um, so my advice to someone who is starting out or trying to figure out how to take themselves to the next level is yes, figure out the branding piece, but the work you do for your client, I believe is truly your best piece of branding you can possibly do because then they will be walking billboard. If you just knock it out of the park and you cover their butts and you protect them and you get them the best possible deal, like they are going to refer you if you really kill it for them. I love that. Uh, so is that, is that the advice that you're giving these young guys is that, you know, it's not starting a podcast. It's not posting every single day. It's not doing, it's not vlogging. It's, Hey, become an expert at your craft because frankly, a lot of realtors aren't. Yeah. That's, I, I, I get torn on that to be totally honest. Cause I un 100% understand the need. You, you got to get some closings in the door when you get started. Otherwise you're going to burn out. You're not going to have any money. hundred percent. I get that. You got, you've got to get out in front of people, whether it's online or in person and get some clients. So there, you know, while honoring that, I think the, everyone needs to find a balance of like, how many times, how much time can I dedicate every day to like working my network or door knocking or, or doing mailers or whatever I need to do online and learning the contract and learning the nuances of our market and the, all the things that come with actually being a good agent. And because you could be the best agent, the best versed agent, but if you have no clients, it doesn't matter because you're not serving anyone. And you could be have a bazillion clients, but if you're an idiot and you make you you get people into bad deals or you have them release contingencies before they're ready and then they buy a house that has mold in it or something, you're screwed because <laughs> they're going to be a walking billboard the opposite direction from you. So anyways, that's just to say that I, I don't have a great answer for that because I think both are absolutely necessary. But I think if you're really committing yourself to this as a long career, um, it pays dividends in the long run to to build the foundation for success up front. I love it. I love it. Uh, and you mentioned something that I wanted to uh, to ask you to go a little deeper on. You said you go on, you would go on tour, um, mm -hmm. and, you know. And so I, at first I thought you were going to say visiting open houses, visiting new listings, but it was no. It was understanding like the micro intricacies of a neighborhood or of a, of a community. Uh, so when you said going on tour, what does that, what does that look like? What does that mean to you? 
So that was, um, so depending on the zip code, we would have brokers tour on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday were the three. And so I don't know if every market does it like this, but in addition to open houses on the weekends, um, it's typical that you would hold a broker's tour from somewhere between 10 and 1 p.m. for all the real estate agents to come in, ooh and ah at the listing and catch up on the gossip and stuff. So I would make it a point to uh, basically block my schedule to commit to going on tour um, so that I could understand the marketplace that I was operating in. And, and that like I knew my city and I knew the cities around it enough. Like I knew where some restaurants were and all that kind of stuff. But when you start actually driving these neighborhoods, getting out, uh, walking into the front door of the house, talking to the agent about the area, maybe catching a neighbor and saying, saying hi and asking them their opinion, you really build a base of knowledge of the marketplace you're operating in. And that was a, a deep commitment that I had for the first year and a half. I was on the Gunderman group. And again, and I was doing it up until COVID uh, said we couldn't do it anymore. And um, it it really wasn't just going and like walking through a house and thinking it's pretty. It was like really trying to digest like how much are they listing this house for? How many beds and baths does it have? What is the flow? Is it two beds up and one bed down? Does it have an unfinished basement or is it a finished basement? Is it a single level versus multi-level? What are the nuances that are affecting the value and desirability? And then I would try and keep track of like once they took offers, how many did they get? How much over the ask did it go? You know, where did it eventually close at? Like, so if I walk into a house, I'm like, this is a 1.3 to 1.35 house. And I can, and now I have a good base of that, that I can tell my clients, I'm like, "Mm, I think this will probably go to blah. And if, you know, it could go a little less if there's no competition, but I think that's where you need to be. And, uh, you know, that has, and then I go back it up with stats and all that other stuff, but it gives you just such a confidence when you walk in with the client to be able to really serve them at a high level and actually provide value. Cause ultimately if we just push paper, like we're going to get out <laughs> outsourced to technology at some point. So I, mm. I just felt like that was absolutely critically important for me. I love it. I love it. Yeah, so I want, I want to, um, I want to kind of circle back on something that I touched on, but I didn't bring to light much. And I don't think it's talked about enough in our industries or any industry for that matter. And one is, you mentioned, you know, how you how you uh, joined the the best team in your market, uh, but what this what the audience doesn't know is that how you became to be a podcast guest, right? You mm-hmm. simply asked. That's it. Yeah. You and I think a lot of people don't realize that. Like, this is a pretty big podcast, biggest real estate group, but it's not not saying we accept everyone, but if you have a good compelling story, all you have to do is ask because we're we're always interested in bringing different value, and. That's not the reason why I'm bringing it up. I'm bringing it up because, again, going back to what I said before, which is, you know, surrounding yourself with the best of the best, not being afraid to ask. And clearly, you have that trait. Like a lot of people would just simply be intimidated to email Tristan Ahumada and, and, and to just ask, hey, can I be on the podcast? Uh, and here's why. Uh, it's not just simply, can I be on the podcast? You have to have a compelling story. And right. obviously, you, you had that. Um, you, you, you had me at Olympian just, just so you know, um, which <laughs> that helps. usually gets with, with most this, people. Yeah. It helps. It helps. It, helps. it but it's a but, good title. Yeah. But it's not just this, right? So clearly if you did it with us, you did it with your team leads, you know, you probably did it with your original mentor to a certain degree. 
you know, if, if you could, and I, you aren't expecting this question, but you know, so everybody's got a different story. Not everybody was an Olympian. Not everybody lives in the Bay area. Uh, but for those that are young to the business and just are struggling to find their way coming mm -hmm. from the horse's mouth, someone who's young in the industry, someone who's executed on this strategy, what would be advice you would give someone who said, man, I feel like I do need to talk to some successful people, but I'm intimidated or I don't know how to reach out to them. What's the kind of advice you would give somebody there? Because I do believe that is a critical step in taking your business to other levels. Yeah. Well, I have to say I was, um, the, I mentioned the podcast host or, or coach earlier, which was Travis Chapel, who has the build your network podcast. And he, and I hired him to teach me how to podcast properly up front but I didn't hire him just for that. I hired him for a mentality, which was his whole spiel around podcasting was create a podcast, which is a platform, just like a Facebook live or a YouTube channel is a platform and use that to leverage, to get in front of the people that you want to spend 45 minutes with. And if no one listens, but you have a hundred conversations a year with people you respect and ask them the questions you want to ask them, then bingo, your network is bigger, you're smarter. And, and so my answer is like, create an excuse that that is valuable to that person uh, to go have a conversation with them in a podcast, or, or a Facebook Live or anything like that is a free and be the best excuse ever because we're all busy. If someone asks me to go to lunch, so if you ask if you're in the Bay Area, and you want to grab a beer, hit me up, but I'm always down for that. But you know, you go ask someone to lunch, like they get hit up all the time, especially if they're successful to, to pick their brain or whatever. But if I, if someone hits me up and is like, Hey, will you come on my podcast? hundred percent. Yes. Cause I, a, I have one, but B that's going to be a conversation that gets out in front of a, you know, a hundred more people that I didn't know. And now I have more exposure. So you're providing them value as well as you're getting some from them. Um, but ultimately you you're right. You simply have to ask and craft the message and say, why would this person want to sit with me and, and put yourself in their shoes and then give them something compelling to chew on. It doesn't have to be a long email. I think the email I sent you is a paragraph and a half, maybe if that, and most of it was bullet points, I think. So, mm -hmm. you know, simply asking, but then, but then thinking a little more strategically on like, how can I provide some value to this person in the process of trying to get what I want? You hit the nail on the head, and I and I am surrounded by some whales in 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 the industry, like billionaire whales, and I can tell you, I've heard them. They've become friends, and they have told me or told audiences, like they hear it. There's masterminds, there's events, and you want to quote unquote pick their brain. If they had a nickel for every time somebody came up to them and said, "I want to pick your brain," they'd be a multi billionaire, right? Right. And so what Hans just said is so important. Find a way to bring value. That's where it, 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 it flips the tables and, and gets them to pay attention. Because remember, if you go up to them and say the exact same thing, this applies to so many different conversations, but if you go up to them and say the exact same thing that everybody's saying, hey, do you have a minute? I'd love to pick your brain. What? No, they don't have a minute. Like they're super it busy. However, and I'm going to totally go against myself here, successful people, they're totally willing to share. You'd be shocked. Like they're willing to share. 
but you got to yeah. figure out how to get to them. So was, was there any certain technique you used with uh, your, the, the team that you joined? Yeah, I really, well, I happen to have some inside information because one of my wife's clients, she's a personal trainer and has her own uh, pretty awesome business around personal training. One of her clients was the sales manager for the office that David and Andrew, my team leaders were a part of and was a colleague of theirs, a fellow realtor for years and years. So good friend. And we had dinner with her uh, and her husband, the four of us, and she basically turned that into a job interview. But I came out of there knowing two things. One, they're, they just uh, let go of someone who they were kind of thinking might sort of help take over their, their team at some point. And two, they're always looking for good talent. And so I was like, okay, I need to craft a message to them and reach out to them and say, I've got talent and I'm someone who can help apply what the energies and the skills that I have to give you guys some more time with your family. Cause their kids were about to go off to college and are now in college. Um, so that you can have, you can hand some more responsibilities over. Um, I can help, I can go hustle at open houses. I can, you know, I, I, I named like three or four different things that I could do that I didn't think they were doing right at that moment. And, um, and I, I took me like a week to craft this email, but cause I was like strategizing over every word, but, um, Ultimately, it was just about like, how could I help them? And, and I felt like I had something to offer uh, to bring to the team. And it wasn't just like, hey, if you, if you bring me on your team, I'll work some of your leads for you. And then you can take a split like, okay, you and everybody else. But like, I, I really hit on their family, giving them more time back, giving them, you know, the opportunity, you know, I, I, I don't remember exactly what the email was, but it was something, it was all about that and about them most specifically. And it resonated. Well, it was probably unique. I mean, let me summarize what he just said, which is brilliant because the first thing that I think comes to a lot of salespeople's minds is, Hey, let me join your team and I'll make you more money. Listen, successful people don't give a crap. They've already got plenty of money. They know how to make money. They don't need you to make them more money. And, and what yeah. Hans did is so brilliant. And there's two pieces to it, not the value piece, but guess how he figured out how to bring value. He did his homework. He did his homework. He knew they had families. He knew at what stage in life the family was in. Dude, that's so smart. It's so brilliant. And, and just real quick, I want to share a quick story because I don't, I don't share this very often because I'm always the interviewer, but because it's so relevant, a lot of people ask me, A, you're a mortgage guy. The only reason you get invited into real estate rooms is for three reasons. One is to bring donuts. The other one is to buy drinks. And the other one is to give my credit card. That's it. That's the only reason why we're invited into rooms. Here I am, the guy hosting the Lab Code Agents podcast, speaking to realtors across the country, teaching branding strategies and video and all this stuff. I'm being called. Yeah, I, I flipped the table, right? Mm -hmm. And so how did you get involved with Lab Code Agents? And the short answer, it's a long story. I won't give it to you today, but the, 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 the short answer is I figured out how to bring value to Tristan. We became friends, we became partners, but I figured out how to bring him value. And then I just worked on it and I executed it. And he was so impressed. It's like, I can't live without you kind of mentality. It's exactly mm -hmm. how your team leads probably felt about you. Like, damn, this guy's impressive. And yeah. it's, it's, I love it, dude. I love it. Well, and then you, to, to piggyback on what you just said, you probably were also not looking for an immediate ROI when you were bringing that value up front. And you were really trying to build relationships with no agenda. 
And I think that's one of the biggest problems with the ask is that it always is attached. There's always an attachment. There's always something like, yeah, I'm going to scratch your back today, but I expect something tomorrow kind of thing. And people sniff, sniff that out in 10 seconds. Like, let's be real. And if you really genuinely, again, long-term mentality come to this with with the idea that you're going to be in this for the long run, you want to build value for the long run. Like you said, two, three years to build a channel or whatever. You've got to bring that mentality to every interaction that you do. And same thing with your clients. And if you do that genuinely, you might miss a few sales. You might have a slower start, but I can guarantee you it will, it will hockey stick very quickly. If you really, truly bring that uh, mentality to every engagement you, you find yourself in. I love it, man. I, moral of the story is, folks, you cannot stress bringing value. And whether it's somebody you want to learn from, whether it's just your community, that's the key, right? And you know this better than anyone. Like You want to become the community mayor, bring value to the community. Uh, yep. That's the key. And I'm not talking about real estate statistics. Anybody can do that. Bring real value that they actually want to consume, even though they're not even thinking about selling or buying, right? That's the key. Uh, Hans, it's been awesome, man. I, it's been been a fun conversation. Do you have any parting thoughts or, or anything that you want to leave with our audience? Yeah, the last thing I would say is I think a lot of agents in general kind of, they try and hold on to their secret sauce or their, I don't know, like they their secret, right? And my opinion, whenever I was in an open house or whenever I'm on a video or on a podcast, or just a Zoom meeting with a new client one-on-one, I'm trying to give it away. I'm trying to give away the knowledge that I have. I'm trying to help them understand the nuances that they're getting into. And I really don't hold back when it comes to giving value to them. And frankly, like, hopefully most of my clients have like a minor, if not a PhD in real estate sales by the time they're done, um, because I've explained everything to them. I've helped them understand it to the level that they care to understand it. And, um, you know, I think you need to be really willing to just give away the knowledge that you have because that will attract people. Our team has a philosophy of like a lean in, lean out. If you're in a conversation, you can, you, you can, you know, when someone's leaning into your space a little too hard. And if it's a sales environment that really turns most people off, especially when you're standing in a million dollar house. And so when you lean back and you talk to them about the market nuance and the contract and how this disclosure item is, is nuanced in this other way and that they should be aware of it and make sure you go call your insurance broker because the Creek in the back might be a flood zone and blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, can we get your card? It's like that lean out, lean in thing, right? So figure out how to apply that in every one of your interactions. And I guarantee it'll pay off. I love it, man. So anybody who sat here at the beginning of this podcast and thought to themselves, "And eh, what am I going to learn from a young chap who's only been in the business for four years? You know, this is, this is, it took me 15 years to, and I was successful before them, but it took me a long time to figure this kind of stuff out. And, um, you know, Hans, clearly you used your, your Olympic, you know, traits, the things that got you to the Olympics, uh, and you have, you've applied them. And I love it, man. This has been very, very valuable. And, uh, uh, I'm glad you reached out to us, folks. Remember, just don't be don't be afraid to reach out to the people in your community. One one last question for you on that: um, It is common that successful people will brush aside or ignore. Uh, do you have any advice for that? Because somebody might be thinking to themselves, "Well, I've tried that," and then they don't reply. What do you have any advice for for somebody in that in that position? 
what I would ask is number one, how many times have you tried? And then number two, have you tried a different approach? Number one, like if you send one email out, like I, I reached out to a handful of podcasts and you were nice enough to respond to my first one, but I have a reminder next week to go reach out to all the other ones. And I'm going to figure, I'm going to go through Instagram next time, or I'm going to go through this channel next time, you know? And so figuring out different approaches because everyone's different and you, and you got to change your messaging up, change your approach up in a different way. Um, send them a video instead of a text or whatever. That's that to me is absolutely how you, how you need to approach it. And then ultimately, you know, you're not going to get everybody. Like I, I reached, I'm not going to get on every single podcast I ever reach out to. And that's okay. Like I'm not, maybe, maybe not the fit for every single show. And maybe it's a year from now that they want to have me on. I don't know. But the point is take the action, follow up, provide value. And then, uh, you know, ultimately the law of numbers will, will work in your favor on that one. That's uh, that's golden advice, folks. It's, that's a po- Those are powerful nuggets right there. Uh, so hopefully uh, many of you took a lot from this today. Hans, it has been uh, fantastic to get to know you. Is there, uh, if anybody wants to reach out to you, if, if, if they want to get to know you, what's the best way to find you? If you're on social, I'm, I'm pretty active over on Instagram. My handle is at Chief Sna, that's S-N-A-H, that's Hans backwards. I've got a good story about that if anyone wants to hit me up in the DMs and <laughs> it's a good good one. And, uh, and then my website, of course, which has got my real estate stuff is podcast stuff as uh, hansstruzina.com. That's S-T-R-U-Z-Y-N-A. Awesome. Chief Sna. I love it. Hans backwards. That's awesome on Instagram. Well, Hans, it's been a, uh, it has been a pleasure. I hope uh, we stay in touch and uh, we run into each other when the world comes back to normal at, a, at an event sometime when I'm out in California, my friend. Yeah. Well, Jeff, man, appreciate you having me on. Great podcast. Really appreciate the value you guys bring every week and uh, really honored to have been part of it. You're the man. Today's episode is brought to you by Chime. Chime offers an award-winning sales acceleration platform built for the real estate industry. Powered by artificial intelligence, Chime delivers the data insights agents and teams need to make the most out of the leads they already have and to get to a close faster. Through an expanding partner network, Chime's easy-to-use conversion platform also delivers quality sales-ready leads from the get-go. It eliminates time-consuming manual tasks and helps agents focus on what matters most, building their network, servicing clients, and growing the bottom line. To learn more about how Chime can help you, visit www.chime.me or call 833-682-4463. Agents Podcasts.